Welcome to Religious Renegade Podcast. My name is Christina Carlson, and I am a life coach, podcast host, and an ex-evangelical. On this podcast, I will be interviewing people at all stages of their deconstruction journeys and sharing on topics that are relevant to living in life beyond religion. My wish for you as a listener is that you find hope and comfort here, that you are able to see yourself in these stories and to know deeply that you are not the only one. You are not a lost sheep or someone who has fallen away. You are strong and brave and willing to ask the hard questions for yourself, for your children, and for the world. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email me at christinacrossonlifecoach at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Please note that you can be kept anonymous if you wish. Thank you. In between us is Perfect. Hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited we're doing this. I've been yes. so looking forward to it. Me too. Thank you for agreeing to be on that podcast. Mm. Uh, everyone, this is Audra. Uh, Hi. Audra, tell us what you do. Hi. Um, I am Audra Avery, um, and I am a facilitator of exploratory spaces. So the easiest way I've come up with to describe what it is that I do is to preface it by saying that my natural default way of being is curiosity. So if I am handed a situation that I've never been in before, um, I experience a little bit of fear, but I experience mostly exhilaration. And so like being tossed into new things, being tossed into environments and questions that I've never experienced before is one of the great loves of my life. And what I am doing is creating a business from the great love of my life, which is exploration. (laughs) Um, So essentially the way that I work with clients right now, um, business-wise, there are a couple of ways that people interact with me. Um, I do some one-on-one coaching with people. Largely, I end up attracting people who are either deconstructing or post-deconstruction, or they're kind of like going through a really big life transition. So, um, we'll talk about this for sure, but I have experienced a lot of transition in my life. And it's something that over time I've become really good at just because I I know that there are rhythms to it. I know that there are ebbs and flows and sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's really fucking hard. Can I swear here? Fuck yeah. Okay, good. Just making sure. Pretty sure I say fuck in my intro. I I always like end up asking the first time I say the word fuck, literally every podcast I ever go on, it happens early on. That's very polite of you. I don't think I've ever asked before I was sworn. <laughs> I just like, I think it's like leftover church stuff sure. inside me. There's that part is of my brain okay? that's always like, is this okay? Can I use the big kid words here? <laughs> um, but no, so like my one-on-one work with clients is essentially like working with people who are moving through a big transition. So I've worked with clients who are going through divorces. I've worked with clients who are transitioning from a monogamous relationship to opening up and being non-monogamous. I've worked with clients who have gone through deaths in their immediate family um, so essentially like I'm kind of a transition witch. Like that's that's something that is really familiar to me and really comfortable. And I love, I fucking love the process of like sitting in the ashes of a previous life and going through the actual feelings of it, like the grief associated with it and the very human experience of loss, but then turning it on its head and figuring out what I can create from it. 
And so that is a lot of the work that I do with one-on-one clients is the work of moving through transitions while really honoring the process that they're in, but also looking at the future and going, but what if, like, what if there's actually something much more magical ahead of you than you can see right now? Um, and I'm really good at helping people get there. That's, that's kind of my magic. Um, I really love working one-on-one with clients. That's like my, my preference, but I also love doing some like small group work. I actually just opened up a small group container called the fuck shit of healing. (laughs) And sounds very like you. (laughs) It does sound very like me. (laughs) Um, and it's going to be running in August and September. And essentially the function of that space is there'll be like six to eight of us that are going to be coming together. And each of us is going through a very specific and unique healing process. And we're all kind of in that space in the middle where it's like, we're starting to get better, like, and stronger, but that doesn't necessarily equate to, we feel like on an emotional and embodied level, like we've got our shit together. Like, um, for me, the fuck shit of healing has been like, as I go through the healing process, I, I've started to realize here in the middle of it how disembodied I was before, like how dissociated I was from my experience. I think part of that was the church and part of it was trauma, but I was so dissociated from my experience that once I started getting healthy and having emotions and feelings and an actual human experience of my life again, all of the sudden, like I'm acting and like feeling much more erratically <laughs> than I was previously because I'm not dissociated anymore. I was going to say, cause you're actually, you're actually yes. feeling, <laughs> I'm you're actually allowing yourself to move through those. Things. Exactly. I'm like allowing myself to be a person now. And like, as the walls and my coping mechanisms come out, come down, I'm healing, but it looks messier. Mm-hmm. And I've never really seen a, I haven't seen a whole lot of people like hold space for that particularly well. Like that part where it's just like, I know I'm getting better. I know I'm healing. So why does it feel like I'm crying every day all of a sudden and like losing <laughs> why my harder? Why does it feel so much harder? Mm. Um, so the fuck shit of healing is essentially just a container that deeply acknowledges that the grief process and the healing process are so fucking nonlinear. Like it's not just like an upward trajectory. Um, mm. And we just hold space for one another in that like really deep, beautiful, like supportive space to process our actual experience of grief in a very like safe and contained way. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like the group work that I'm doing right now. I love, I love facilitating the exploration of being human and that's what I do. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> Make that just makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, it and does. Just like knowing you, it's just like, oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, it's of so course. funny because it's like I think all the time. I don't really talk to my family that much about what I do because it's very hard to explain, and like they're pretty traditional people. And I keep thinking, I try to put myself back in their shoes, um, like thinking back to a previous version of myself who was deeply in the church and deeply in all of these like very like traditional views on how one should live a life. And I think about like my 20 year old self. And if I could have like flashed forward and seen 36 year old me doing this exact work that I'm doing right now, I would have been like, what the fuck? That's even a, that's an option. <laughs> and yeah. Would, would you be scared of you? Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I, think, I would be scared of me. I think all the time. If 20-year-old Audra could see 36-year-old Audra, she would have just had a stroke. Like, she would just have a stroke and be gone on the spot. 
And you, um, you'd have dug your heels in even more and then had yes. a more dramatic exit. I would have had an even more dramatic exit if I had known where it was going to land. But it's so funny because you're exactly right. Like I say all of that out loud and as I verbalize it at this point in my life and this version of who I am, this makes so much sense for me. Like I am on the most aligned path that yes. I could possibly have been, even if it was yeah. not where I thought I was going to land. Oh, but is it? Is it? It's not like, that's the thing is like, where I feel like where we go is not what we think. It's what's in our body. Yes. And like, that's why it feels aligned. It would always yes. have felt aligned. It just took, took a while for your mind to be like, okay, fine. Yes. This is what we're doing. And then Ugh. all of you lines up and you're like, of course I do. Of course this, this is. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny in retrospect. Like I've had so many thoughts about how, like where my deconstruction actually started and like what my first inclinations were yeah. that something was off. And honestly, it was when I was a kid, like, like yeah. I was, there were always parts of my body. It's like you said, like yeah. my mind just had to catch up to my body, but my body always knew that this was where we were going to land with this kind of like freedom and exploration. Yeah. Well, let's let's go right yeah. there since we're Love moving it. in there anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So, real quick, religious background, yes. and then I want to hear more about that kid. Of course, yeah. So, yes, religious background. My I grew up in the church in like the truest possible fashion. So, my dad is evangelical, an, right? Yes, evangelical. Free will Baptist is the actual denomination that oh, I was in, free which will was Baptist. like I always tell people preface. Yes. Free Will Baptist for people by saying it's like the more conservative older sister of the Southern Baptist. Okay. <laughs> so I, saying this out loud is hilarious at this point. Um, <laughs> so when I went to college, I went to Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar and Southern Baptist School. And when I made the choice to go to that school, I actually followed a boy there. Um, but when I made a choice to go... To, to SBU, it was very controversial in, like, my family and my, like, religious system because the Southern Baptists were considered, like, the liberal, grace-wielding, free-wheeling, like, that was the framework we had for the Southern Baptist <laughs> Convention was that, like, because, like, free will Baptists don't believe in once saved, always saved. They believe that you can backslide so you can oh, always, like... Nazarene. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, so okay. you can like lose your salvation and all of the things. So it's always a little bit of a like point of skepticism in my upbringing that yeah. Southern Baptists believe that once you were saved, you couldn't like come outside the edges of that. Like you were always saved. And so in my <laughs> my upbringing, Free Will Baptist, I think I went to my first church service when I was less than a week old. Um, my parents are still going to the church that I grew up in. Um, it was like a we went three times a week thing, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. A lot of times there were like extra things during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, my social world was also very, very tied up in that system. Um, school as well? Actually, no, I did go to public school. So that's okay. like kind of the one thing that um, my parents both worked and we were yeah. like, um, we were definitely not of like the financial means for them to be able to send me to any form of private school. So I did go to public school. Um, but my family just like in general kept a very tight, like rein on my social circle. So I didn't do a lot of like sleepovers or anything like that. Um, the friends that I had that I hung out with outside of school and inside school too, I just kind of like stuck to this across the board. 
Um, but, but we're always people that my, my family knew their families. We lived in a small town. Like they knew that they were at least churchgoers. Um, some of them caught some like shade and side eye from my family because they went to Southern Baptist churches and some of them went to non-denominational churches. Oh, oh, getting towards the edge. Just sliding towards the slippery slope. <laughs> um, but that was kind of like the vibe of my upbringing was the church was my family. It was my friend group. It was the entirety of my socialization entirely. So this, this, you as a five-year-old kid, what, what was it about your environment that was like off to you? Was it the, that once saved, always saved that you mentioned, or is it something else? So I think for me in retrospect, and this, there has been so fucking much therapy involved in getting to this place because I couldn't have named this two years ago. Um, but in doing, especially EMDR, one of the things that I've come to is that even as a kid, I felt deep unsafety at the roots, like embodied unsafety at the roots of the system that I grew up in. Yeah. And so like, I remember when I was a kid, cause I, the, the denomination I grew up in was very heavy in like rapture theology and end times type stuff. And so like, I have this very specific memory now of being a kid between six and eight years old and going to sleep at night and I would wake up in the middle of the night and the house would be quiet. And because I had grown up in that theology of like rapture and end times, I was constantly like on edge Mm -hmm. if I wasn't surrounded by people wondering if maybe something had happened, the rapture had happened and I'd been left behind. Mm -hmm. And nighttime was always very scary for me because it was like the one time I couldn't necessarily verify that like everyone was still here because we were all asleep in our beds. Um, I remember when I was a kid, like, yeah, that six to eight range, there were nights that I would just wake up and feel so panicky and I would listen for the sound of my mom snoring. Mm -hmm. And if my mom was snoring, I knew I was good. And if my mom wasn't snoring, I would go sit outside my parents' bedroom, like literally just sit my tiny ass outside their bedroom and like listen for signs of life because I just constantly I know like the intensity and fear and terror I imagine you feel in the moments before you heard her yes yeah as as such a kid to feel that kind of fear Uh, as such a tiny as like I was a baby I was a baby and it's it's strange to think about now because I actually don't think I realized how deeply entrenched that was until um one of my partners snores and Joshua didn't snore my spouse I was married for 11 years Um, and Joshua didn't snore. Mm -hmm. And so like one of my partners now snores and it has always been one of the most comforting sounds in the entire world to me. Mm -hmm. Like waking up and hearing him snoring is like soothing. It's like what I imagine other people hear when they hear like a cat purring. Yeah. (laughs) And I just like go back to sleep and I feel so safe. And I, I couldn't like pinpoint why that was. And I did an EMDR session and like connected the sound of my mom snoring to the sound of safety the sound of I'm not alone. Mm. And so like for me to wake up and hear him snoring next to me is just like this from childhood, from literally being six to eight years old, um, this deeply embodied sound of safety. Yeah, I experienced deep feelings of unsafety as a kid and I couldn't have named it that as, at the time no. because it was just such an assumed part of that mm. system. I didn't know anything else. Healthy fear of God. Healthy fear you of God. You probably looked better oh. on for that. One, better on you know what I mean yes oh 100% (laughs) I 
I got so much like validation and respect and like I was always very highly regarded in that world. And I think part of it was because I had that like deeply embodied fear of God. Mm. And like I, because of that, when I was a kid, I didn't break the rules like for the like rogue maverick that I paint myself as now and kind of am like and am at my core truly. But like when I was a kid, that deeply embodied fear of God was so real to me that I, I didn't break the rules. Like I wasn't a kid that like snuck out or tried to sneak things past my parents. I didn't like, I think like the worst thing I ever did was start a contraband collection of music and books that my parents wouldn't have wanted me to read. You're like, oh, Fahrenheit, whatever. Fahrenheit like, 451. Yeah. I'm going to save the books. I'm going to save the books. I like brought home, um, like the disintegration album by the cure and like hit it. It was like in a, a little suitcase under my bed, all of this shit that I didn't want my parents to see. But that was like the full extent of yeah. me rule breaking as a child. And even as a teenager, yeah. because I just had such a deeply embodied so far past my mind, but it was just like in the fibers of my being, a fear of God and a fear of punishment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was like, in retrospect, that was probably always, that always existed. And I think when I started deconstructing, it was probably one of the first things that like gave me some permission or like added a little bit of fuel to my fire. So there's already something in my body was like, this is fucking off. Like this is yeah. something about this is not good. Well, you didn't fit. I didn't fit. It's a very small <gasps> box. So I should... And I'm not good at that. No, I, me I, neither. I, I, we're not great this is at why like, we relate. <laughs> exactly. We're not great at being in the small boxes. Like, I, no. I fight them. And so, like, I think my childhood in many ways was, like, fighting my fight instincts. Mm -hmm. Like, I learned how to freeze because I have such deeply ingrained fight instincts. Yeah. But that fear just, like, overrode all of them. Mm. And just, like, turned me into a freeze. Yeah. For years. Years of my life. But that means that you weren't fully you weren't able to be fully there oh no 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 I'm just now um it's so interesting so like a little bit of my my <laughs> recent ish history backstory um my spouse died very suddenly last May and in May of 2020 and I remember walking into my therapist's office the first time this is my current therapist and I walked into her office the first time about three to four weeks after he died and I just told her I was like I can't feel anything. I don't feel anything. Like, I don't feel sad. I don't feel angry. I don't feel scared. My best friend, the father of my kid, just dropped off the face of the planet on purpose. He chose that in, in as much as like anyone has a choice in, in clinical depression, but like he dropped off the face of the planet I am raising a six month old baby in the middle of a pandemic and I don't feel anything. Mm. I think I probably should feel something here. Mm. And Amanda, um, who is a fucking brilliant, brilliant therapist. She's amazing. She has given me so much of my life back, but she just like has held so many of these moments for me when I have said these incredibly tragic things. Like Josh and I walked through his experience of depression for the entirety of our relationship, but really in very intense ways in the last five years he was alive. Mm -hmm. And so there was that. 
and then there's all this religious trauma and I'm telling her like the story of eight-year-old me sitting outside my parents bedroom and like waiting for my parents to like show me signs of life at night mm -hmm. like all of these very tragic stories and I could like witness myself from the outside listening to myself tell Amanda these things and I could hear that they were tragic and terrible and awful and they're literally things that happened to me like they happened inside my actual life but I was telling them to Amanda like I was reading a local newspaper article about like a fucking golf tournament or something mm. um, and that stemmed in childhood like that sense of disembodiment that sense of don't feel your feelings like don't feel your feelings because it's kind of pointless like nothing's gonna come from you feeling your feelings anyway um like me turning off my fight instincts, me turning off the parts of me that recognize when some that something is happening to me that is objectively terrible. All of those instincts got turned off so many fucking years ago. It happened when I was a kid. And so like, you're exactly right. Like I wasn't even, for most of my life, I didn't have access to my actual human experience. It's really just been within like the last six months. I came to life when I was 36 is like what, how it like feels on the inside to me. Hello everyone. I want to take a quick break and tell you about my life coaching services. If you've been feeling resentment in relationships, uh, discontentment with where you are, but uncertain where you want to go or feel disconnected from your body or your intuition, my coaching might be for you. If you are longing to feel free and powerful and know your purpose and value outside of religion, I would love to hear from you. I help my clients go from constant people pleaser to standing in their power. Help you go from doing what you should to doing what inspires you and lights you up. From living external roles and values to living the values you have uniquely inside of you. From meek and submissive to ownership and responsibility over your own life. From disconnection to yourself to living by your own innate code for your life. I do this through a 12-week coaching series. We meet every other week for one hour on Zoom. And you get email support during the week and then a whole week of text coaching through the app signal. Together we set one to three goals and using my coaching skills and experience, I guide you to move into a life that feels in alignment with who you truly are outside of religious systems. I deeply believe in soul desire and your body's ability to know what is best for you. Are you ready to feel free and powerful? Are you ready to have direction and know what you want? Are you ready to be confident in who you are now outside of religion? If so, please schedule a free discovery call on my website, christinamcarlson.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-C-A-R-L-S-O-N.com. Thank you so much. I'm back to the show. Oh, I relate, I relate <laughs> to this on so many levels, um, especially like, you couldn't, you couldn't be in your body. No. If you're, if you're sitting outside your parents' door, like, waiting to hear sides of life as a child from your mother, you're, there, there was, quote unquote, no point to feeling your feelings because no. you were holding your breath. Yeah. Yes. And, and then most of the time it, it was okay. And so your brain and body are just like, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, yes. We're okay. Yes. And, and you were just like, no, don't panic, don't panic, don't Ugh. panic. Because you knew it wouldn't do anything. Yes. And and there's no safety in telling your parents that because they mm. dismiss those feelings. Yeah. Because you're not supposed to be that afraid. You're supposed to just trust God. Yeah. 
the fear was supposed to be interpreted as a sign of God's presence in my life. Like, if you're afraid and you're experiencing the fear of God, Mm. then that's like a sign that God is present for you and is giving you signs of conviction and like all of these things. Fear was actually painted as a sign of God's presence. It was. And that's why we were so godly because we were so fucking terrified. scared all the time. Oh, it's so interesting. You just said something that like clicked something together in my brain. Um, the part about how, like, we're always waiting, like, mm-hmm. like waiting for the signs of life, like a terrible thing can be happening. We can be having this horrifying embodied existential fear, mm-hmm. but because I had that like frame of reference for, you know, everything, everything always turned out okay in the end. So I might as well not even like feel this. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that was so much of my experience when Josh died. That's been my experience of like a lot of things in my adult life has been that sensation of okay, I could give in to the feeling that I'm feeling right now and just like let it happen or I can just hold my breath through it and it'll go away. Yeah. And what I didn't know was that it didn't actually ever go away. It just like got stored in my body um, as trauma and fear and like absolute deep trust in abandonment. Like I trust in my own abandonment more than I trust anything else. That's less true than it's ever been before, <laughs> but like that's still like a a very real narrative in me is that um, in the moments when it matters most, in the moments when I am most afraid and most activated, and like that childlike part of me is just having a deeply human experience, I trust that I won't be met there. Because mm. um, exactly like you said, the thing about how we couldn't have like talked to our parents about it because they were so deep inside that system that's been like a piece that I've worked through that I'm still working through in therapy is like the inherent consent, like consent violation in that system. Because like when I look back now and I realize that childlike me had a very deep sense of like something about this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But even as a kid, I could not have expected to go to any of the trusted adults in my life and be like, hey, this feels really bad to me and I actually want to stop. I don't want to do this because something about it feels wrong. Um, That's a consent thing. Yeah. Like, because if I, and anyone would say, like, if I were in a situation, like a sexual situation with a partner and I were to be like, hey, this doesn't feel good to me, I would like to stop. And they didn't honor that. Get them back out. fucking assault. Like, that is assault. Yeah. And like... To realize that, like, to use that in parallel to the way that the church was treated as an experience to me as a child, to know that, like, I could not have gone to the people who were taking me and, like, putting me in this environment. I could not have gone to them at any point and been like, hey, this doesn't feel good to me. I would like to stop. And expected that they would do anything but continue subjecting me to that system. It is, like, consent violation like all the way back to childhood. Yes. I, I love that you're putting it in this frame. Yep. Because this is like reminding me of things as well. I'm thinking about like in junior high, I, I developed like, I forget what it's like the technical terminology is, but like um, getting like OCD loops of thoughts in my head. Mm. Like I'm going to hell, you know, like a, yes. about salvation particularly. But another one that jumped in there was that I was going crazy because I was being gaslit in my community always. So I literally like, couldn't focus at one point. And I, I did 
ask my mom. I was like, I can't go here. I, I blamed it on demons. I said there was demonic activity in my Moana group. You know what? And <laughs> you learn the right language to get yourself where you need to be at some point. As that was my form of safety. I love it. Um, and she did let me quit that semester, but I still had to make up the work, and then yeah. I still had to go back the next year. So I think there was like a little bit of like, oh, it's okay to say something, but then you still have to keep doing yes. it. Yes. Yes. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't really fully honored. It was like, um, it was like a thought of honoring this. Yeah. Thing. I was oh, like, well, then we'll, we'll, we'll do the same thing somewhere else. Yeah. You know? On paper, like lip service. There's like giving yeah. lip service to honoring your autonomy. Yeah. But it wasn't actually anything real at yeah. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, the way this has impacted so much, and I won't go off on the tangent about parenting, but my, my kid <laughs> is a whole other 20 months old. That's a whole episode. <laughs> but, like, it's impacted so much of my parenting to, like, look back and realize how much my sovereignty and consent and autonomy were disregarded as a child simply because I was a child. Mm-hmm. And, like, to look at Holland now. He's 20 months old. He's a wreck. He's a fucking delight. Um, but he's, <laughs> he's such a mess. Um, but like, I'm already proactively thinking about like, what does it look like to be the parent, to be the person guiding him and like, like serving as like a torchbearer going before him, but like honoring his embodied sense of wisdom because he already has one. Mm -hmm. Like it's not well formed at this point. It's not like, like he's still in such an early stage of brain and body development, but like how do I increasingly over time hand his autonomy and his sovereignty back to him in like developmentally appropriate ways that were just never like, that was never even a thought. Mm. My parents didn't have that, even that language in their tool belt. No. So I don't know. I think this is where we change things going forward. Honestly, is in the way that we're raising our kids because we're looking at back at these things that our parents did not consciously trying to harm us. Like our parents were like, most of them weren't like going out of their way to cause us harm, but it happened. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at like Holland and Maya and going, okay, how do I, how do I not do that? Like, how do I, how do I work through my bullshit Mm -hmm. enough to make sure that in 30 years, my kid isn't sitting in therapy doing time over my bullshit. Over the same thing. Yes. Well, there'll be different things. Yes. There'll be different things. (laughs) But hopefully I would love for my kid to be able to do therapy over his bullshit instead of my bullshit. (laughs) Whereas like, I think a lot of us in therapy right now are actually doing therapy because our parents didn't like, they didn't have the access or the tools or the capacity to do their own work. So, ugh, (laughs) that's such a, that's such like a a deep heart subject. And I know who are, if anyone's listening, who is an ex-evangelical parent, yes. depending yes. on when you, depending on when you left, this is a, yep. like, I always feel like deep feelings about this because yes. it's just, I, I, I didn't start to do this work until after she was born. Yeah. And it was, it was giving birth to her that I was like, yes. Oh, I'm a fucking mother now. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> who signed like, up on this? Like not mom, but like, Made into mother. Yes. Like, now I have power. Not mm-hmm. that you, not that giving birth has to... Not that those no. two things are related. I, I truly believe <clears throat> that, like, giving birth to anything, whether it's a business yes. or a, yep. like, a stage of your life, yeah. or going after what you want, that is a birth. And for me, this birth was just yeah. like, oh, now I'm a fucking mother. Yeah. And was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm leaving, and now... Yes. And there's so much shit that she's going to have to undo of my, yes. I'm learning with her, exactly. oh. which, which is beautiful. 
and it's also something that I have to grieve in the process There's of it happening because there is so much that I'm getting wrong even still. As you go. Yeah. And oh. it's like, you know what? I'm just going to be saying sorry a lot. A lot. I'm and paying her for her first couple years of therapy is what my therapist would me. <laughs> like, I have a therapy fund for Holland. And, like, um, I think there's so much, like, there's so much grace and compassion for me in the reality that my capacity to apologize well, mm-hmm. like, and to course correct is a thing that can make all the, the difference in the yes. way that I'm raising my child. Cause that was, yeah. a, again, a thing that like most of the adults in my life generationally, they just, they didn't have, it felt weak to them to apologize. Yeah. It felt like a, um, it's an assault on your ego. It's an assault <laughs> on the ego, ego. And like, it feels like it's people will respect you less if you admit that, that you were wrong. And like yeah, respect is this very big thing for that generation. And for me, like, I want my kid to respect my capacity to be human and to let myself fuck up Mm -hmm. and to apologize and make amends and to course correct going forward. Like, because you want them to be able to do that. Exactly. Like, that's the model that I want to set for Holland. And what was it? A friend of mine said something the other day that feels so relevant to this. Um, Oh, yeah. So my friend Bailey and I were talking the other day and we were discussing because we both have kids about the same age. Um, and she also has a four-year-old and she was talking about how in many ways it's felt like parenting has been a process of her uncovering her own childhood wounds yes. at the same developmental stage as her uh-huh. kids go through. Yes. Cause she's like talking about how she looks at her four-year-old daughter and sees like these pieces of her little four-year-old mm-hmm. self and is like working through the wounds. Yeah. And then her, her son is two. Mm-hmm. And so like, she's watching that two-year-old part of herself, like the wounds come up. And I sat there and I thought like a couple weeks ago with Holland, I was, um, he was freaking out over something. He was just having a a sweet little toddler meltdown (laughs) over, I think a diaper change. And he was just so fucking distraught. He was so (laughs) sad. And I just like pulled him into my arms and snuggled him close to keep him safe because he was so flaily. And I was just like, buddy, we have so many big feelings and mama has so many big feelings and we're going to figure out how to navigate them together. And like, we had this very sweet, cozy moment and then I took him to school and then I came back home and I sat in the rocker and sobbed mm-hmm. because two-year-old Audra was sitting inside so me going, <laughs> why didn't I have that? Like, why could my emotions not have just been mirrored back to me and like why could I not have had space held for them? Why did they feel so offensive? Like my emotions felt offensive and disrespectful to the people around me and in charge of me. I've got some thoughts on this. Ugh, I'm not surprised that you know I'm dying to hear them. <laughs> I hope nobody minds that this is more like a conversation. I know we're not going to stay on a track here. No. Oh my God. Okay. So Something that I've been working through for the past couple of months is, is realizing that, that mattering is important here because what happens, and, and I think this is true in, on so many levels, like in our society and in the past generation and our generation, what, what happened and has happened is when a person does not believe that they matter, they have to fight for, for mattering constantly. So yeah. look at white men in our system. Yeah. Not all, you know, not going to say that. Yeah. 
Um, but so, so much of that, like, if a person is louder, not necessarily volume, but I mean taking up more. Energetically more, louder. Energetically more space. Yes. Um, talking over other people in that have less privilege than them. This kind of, like, fighting to matter. So in these scenarios, what I have found in myself in communicating with my daughter is when she is upset, my inner child comes up and says, but I matter. Yes. And, like, trusting and believing my own mattering is what... I was talking to Madison Morgan about this. Trusting that I matter is actually the cure here. It is. Instead of pushing that down and instead of pushing hers down. Yes. And that's been such a process for us because when she's screaming, I'm like, my five-year-old self is like, but I matter here. Yes. I matter here and I need, like, calm for a second. I just need to... But we can both matter. Yeah. And that wasn't modeled for us. Oh, and it's, it's so, like, achy to think about the ways, because what can happen in that moment is if you don't have a deeply internalized sense of worthiness and mattering, what we can do is push our kids, like, behavior and feelings and emotions and all of those things down as a means of like finding our own sense of mattering it's like a form of domination it's a form of like yes one of us has to matter more here and i'm going to like diminish you so that i can feel as though i matter it's like us sourcing our worthiness from our child's behavior holy Fuck. Yeah, it's a power dynamic. And it's Ugh. literally the power dynamic that capitalism and patriarchy yes. works with. 100%. Power over instead of power with. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking weird and strange to be living this out yes. with my child and be like, oh, if I'm going to learn to have yeah. equality with other humans, this is where I, I have to start with my baby. I have yes. to start with my baby. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because there is just such a sense. And I think children are by and large one of the most disregarded, like, subsections of humans on the planet like they're just like quite legitimately thought to be like less than yes yeah and I don't want to raise my child with that because that again sets up our children to be another generation of people who don't feel like they matter and haven't felt like they've mattered ever and so they're constantly pushing other people down trying Uh to get there it's like this vicious and violent system yes mattering breaks this cycle (laughs) God damn. Worth, value, the things that you coach people on, the things I coach mm. people on. Make some notes for therapy <laughs> next week. Same, same. Uh, okay, so I want to get back to your yes. story. <laughs> well, let me, um, I want to know, um, like, what, where at, like, because you mentioned, like, the feeling of feeling super uncertain with mm-hmm. the rapture. I'm wondering, like, how long after that was it that you had, like, some kind of conscious awareness that, like, maybe this, maybe... This wasn't for you, but more than just like that, yeah. but like maybe you could leave. Like could leave. Oh yeah. Maybe like whew. Yeah. So it really was for me, and I think so much of this comes back to how deeply ingrained the fear narratives were in me. Mm. Because it took me so damn long. Um I can I can pinpoint a couple of really pivotal moments um that I think like formed the basis for my deconstruction and eventually leaving the church. Um, and the first one was when I was 20, I had been in a two year relationship with my best friend since we were like eight and my first love. And when we were 20, he came out to me as gay Mm -hmm. and 
it's so funny now we were still very dear friends and both as queer as it gets um it's like we were just like found each other early on because Your the queer kids always do yes they we do. always do we yes. just like misunderstood what our love was about oh like yeah <laughs> could not agree with you <coughs> we just deeply misunderstood <laughs> um but he came out to me as gay when we had been together for two years and we were 20 years old and I remember standing on, we went for a walk on um, a trail in Bolivar, Missouri. And I remember him staring at the ground when he told me that he was gay. And like the first time that he looked me in the eyes after he said it out loud, I saw this intensity of self-loathing and pain in his eyes. We were both students at Southwest Baptist at that point in time. Um, Southwest Baptist had, at the time, and still still has, um, a track record for handling queer students very poorly. Um, so there was, like, so much fear and shame and also just, like, the pain of hurting his best friend. Like, mm -hmm. because he did not want to hurt me. But, like, I remember sitting there and looking at this look in his eyes... And I had always had this picture painted for me of the gay community, of people who were defiant and had an agenda to, like, fuck up society and traditional right. views of marriage and all of the things. And they were, like, defiant and proud and, like, all of these, like, I had such a clear picture painted for me by the church community of what the queer community looked like. Yeah. And I looked him in the eyes in that moment and I was like, oh, fuck. Something is like, yeah. something is off here. Like either they have the narrative real fucking wrong or Matt is a complete outlier. Like yeah. he is just like an exception. Yeah. But in my gut, I just knew it was like from that moment, I knew something was wrong in the system. Like that was just like my first inkling and I didn't do anything about it then. Um, and he and I broke up and like, um, it took us some years to like reconcile, um, as friends and whatnot. But it's so strange to like look back on that day and realize that was the first inkling of, Oh, I probably have some digging to do here because I think, I think I've been lied to <laughs> like consciously or not. I think I've been lied to. And the more experience I had of him and his process of coming out, the more I saw his pain and his fear and like all of these things that I had never been taught by the church could be part of the queer experience. So that was when I was 20. This, I guess the second thing really was when Josh's mental health started declining. So um, he battled clinical depression for years, but there was about a four year period at the beginning of our marriage where it was kind of like at bay. Like, if you think of it as, um, as cancer, like he was in, like, he was in remission at that point in time. And so when he started to come out of remission and I started to see him progress through the stages, our life changed dramatically because we were just like, in ways trying to keep him alive and everything was very painful and very tiring and very hard. And we learned quickly that the church was actually the least safe place we could go to, to talk about that. Hmm. Because very commonly, um, and this was just, like, I, I can't speak to any, like, overarching universal realities, but this is literally my lived experience. 
my lived experience of the church's response to us walking through the darkest days of our lives on to that point on the backs on the back of clinical depression was that they were very uncomfortable with it and very hopeful that enough Jesus could fix it. And it was so hard to watch. And this was really like the beginning of me leaving the church. Um, Cause I left before I deconstructed. <laughs> like I, yeah. I left, it was like kind of flip flop for me. The beginning of me leaving the church was recognizing that the more people knew about our actual experience of life, the more we talked about, we talked honestly about how painful things could feel and like what the actual experience of our lives looked like, the more it was like subjects kept getting changed really quickly and we stopped being invited to different things. And there was just like this very slow but steady indication of we cannot walk with you through this. Like if you're going to like actually walk through it and not spiritually bypass the shit out of it, then we can't like really be a part of it. And that for me was the beginning of leaving because I could see how much he needed support. I could see how much I needed support. I had been told my whole life that the church was a family and a community and they're the the safest place to go when you're in need and all of the things. And in the darkest days of my life, I didn't actually find that to be true. And so eventually we left because it just got too painful. It got too painful to be in a situation where we either had to show up and put on a face or show up and show our most tender, vulnerable parts and be prepared for further rejection. And when we were in that space of like, when we were in that space, I had, I was in days of like waiting for him to die. Like every single day I left my home and went to work and wondered if that was the day I was going to come home and be like, okay, I'm a widow now. Um, that was a horrifying period of my life. And my nervous system just could not take on the risk of losing more. And so I just like, we isolated in so many ways. And one of the first places we isolated from was the church because we just figured out quickly that so many well-meaning people really, really, really fucking wanted Jesus to be enough to fix clinical depression. And when he wasn't, nobody knew what to do with that. And so we kind of became the collateral damage in ways. Um, so that was when I left the church because there was just a part of me that was like, this is, this is not what it was painted to be for me. This is not the, the like sense of support, um, or community that I have been taught that it is. Um, so that was when I left. The, the last time that I like went to church full time was in 2015. And then I started deconstruction. <laughs> um, it was like, I had to leave first. For me, it was like, I had to leave the church in order to get permission to start like pulling things apart. Yeah. Because it felt like as long as I was still in the system, it felt disingenuous to be sitting inside the building and going, okay, I'm going <laughs> to sort through whether I actually fucking believe in any of this. <laughs> Um, so at any rate, um, my deconstruction came next and deconstruction started for me in the form of finding some writers who were doing a really beautiful nuanced job of like explaining some of the, the problems in the institution of church. Mm. So that's kind of where I started. I started with, um, Kathy Escobar who wrote a book called Faith Shift that was very pivotal for me. Rachel Held Evans was another one. Um, so like I started with a, like, reading the work of and like digging into the study of 
people who were staying in the church, but they had shifted. They had shifted and they had like embraced the fact that the whole story of the Bible could be true and the system can still be real fucking broken. Yeah. So like that was where I started. And then at some point I started to like move into um, inerrancy (laughs) was kind of my like my hinge point of I watched the ways that there was so much harm done because of people believing in the Bible being absolutely literal. I watched the harm done to the queer community. I watched the harm done to the black community. I watched like over and over as the most vulnerable people in my life had the Bible used against them like a weapon. Yeah. And that took me into like, okay, do I believe in the validity of the Bible? Like, do I actually believe in this? Because some of the things that these people are saying, like the the verses that they're using to like weaponize, they actually exist inside the Bible. Like, yeah, they yeah, literally yeah, yeah. like if you assume the Bible is inerrant, they're not wrong. They're following it. <laughs> they're following it. And so that led me to deconstructing the Bible and coming to a point where I absolutely do not believe in inerrancy at this point. With like, <laughs> I lay my head on the pillow very casually at night with that like. Casually. <laughs> Very casually. I don't, um, I think the Bible has so much value. I think there is, le- there are lessons to be learned from it. I believe that it was the work of a bunch of really deeply imperfect humans, specific humans in specific contexts in specific cultures at a specific time frame, that were doing their best to encapsulate their experience of the mystery of the energy that I now know as God. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. were doing their best. I want to like, that's like the definition right there. I want to yes. phrase definition of the Bible. The like that's Christian literally Bible. it. Like I, <laughs> I do not believe there is anything mystical behind it. I believe it's, it was just people trying to explain how they experienced what I have come to know as God, because I do actually still believe in God in some form, whether that's like, a, I don't believe in like, like white God with a penis God, but like I believe in like the energy of love and a benevolent kindness. And I believe that the universe, there's just something magical to it. And I think the people who wrote the Bible were trying to encapsulate that and they were just really fucking human. And then we took it through years upon years upon years of being distilled and put together and translated and retranslated and retranslated colonialization colonialization like there's there's so much to the bible that means that i i can't look at it and take it seriously if i'm trying to look at it through the lens of this is the literal spoken word of god fuck no no absolutely not i find it so interesting that you're like you you put a name to something that i know a lot of a lot of people relate to with like you you were the people that your entire life the church was like we're here for these people yes. we're here for quote-unquote sinners we're here yep. for the rejects of society. the bible is a place for the sick not yes. the healed yes. it's a hospital we're, we're here to help yeah. and yet when those people are yeah. there like uh that's very very often not their experience yeah it's very not very often not their experience yeah it's it's tough like the church is actually a from this perspective of my life, um, the church is a really delightful place to be for insiders. Mm. It's a tough place to be for outsiders. Like it's, 
it's so interesting like even some of the very best because I did go through some years too of like maybe I just like need to find a church with more like I don't know liberal politics politics like progressive views of sexuality and like all the things maybe I just need to find like a really fucking queer affirming church and the rest of it will fall into place maybe that can be my metric <laughs> and even that I just have found um over and over that it's just an institution that's not compelling to me any longer. It's not where I find God. Like it's not, <laughs> I feel like this whole story is like, <laughs> is Audra was born with the universe and, yeah. then, and then was trying to cram into a tiny box ah! and you kept trying to find a bigger box in a bigger box in a, a bigger, bigger box. box. And yes, whoever God actually was, was like, Audra, yes. you're made for something so much bigger. There's no it's fucking box for you. <laughs> the way that I explained it to my mama, um, because my mom and I can have some conversations about this. My family is still very deeply entrenched in the church, and it is a point of contention in many ways that I am not and that I'm so public about it. Mm. But, like, my mom and I had a conversation recently, and the way that I explained it to her is that I don't go to church because the church feels like a bunker and God feels like the sky. Mm. And I want the sky. <laughs> and I can't have the sky from within the bunker. Like, that's not an <laughs> option. Like, it's and, it really is. <laughs> she, um, and, and my mama, bless her. Like she understood it. Like when I phrased it that way, cause I told her, I was like, and when I say bunker, I don't necessarily like mean that in a derogatory manner. I mean, it is a safe place to go. If you want to be amongst people who believe like you do and live like you do and think like you do, like if you want a safe space to have the beliefs that you have, the bunker is a great fucking place to be. It's just not where I want to be. <laughs> like, I have no desire for it whatsoever. Mm. And so, like, oh, it's so interesting that you use the word universe because, like, that's been the theme of this year. I actually just finished up um, Madison Morgan's um, Rising Sovereign program. And one of the things that she asked at the very end of our last session together was, what are you willing to become? And my answer to that was, I am willing to become a motherfucking cosmos <laughs> because like I have spent, you phrased it perfectly. I have spent my whole life. I was put in this tiny box and at every stage I like pushed against the sides of the box. I could never not push against the sides of the box because that's who I am. And I try to make it bigger. I try to find more room when I couldn't make the box bigger. I try to find another box that just was bigger and another box that just was bigger until one day I was just like, I am not built for that. I am a universe. Like I am stars and planets and like black holes and supernovas and like all of this undiscovered territory and a bunch of shit that doesn't even exist yet. But like one day some cosmic explosion will happen. It'll be there. Um, that's been like, my my mantra these past months has been I am willing to become a motherfucking cosmos and I can't be a cosmos inside the church because the church doesn't have space for that. Yeah. I just haven't That's a category. That's a binary. Yes. That's yeah. a norm. Like yep. a, a specific container. I yeah. Mean, no. It's a very specific I container. A container. <laughs> I need a bigger container. I need a universe sized container. I feel like that's Madison language. Yes, <laughs> it really is. It is. God, I love that woman. My life is so deeply different and more beautiful because she exists. Oh, same. Uh, but yeah, that's so that's kind of like <laughs> that was my deconstruction. <laughs> 
I love this is like this such a I feel like this is so similar to how I would describe like yep. not, my journey is so different yeah. but like as far as the like find, needing to find a bigger container and knowing from the beginning that something yeah. it just didn't fit like I yes. don't fit it's because I was never fucking meant to you're never meant to I just have so much more capacity yes. and space when I'm allowed to be in yes. alignment with who I am I'm so grateful because the one thing that has happened, and I'm, I would be so curious to hear whether it's your experience too, like the one thing that has happened is that every step of the way, and one of the reasons I still fucking believe in God, like whatever God is, <laughs> um, but the reason I still believe in it is that this was not supposed to be my story. Like that's a thing that I, um, I say often to one of my partners at this point, this was not supposed to be my story. Like on the day of my birth, when I look at my life right now, I am a mama and a widow and I am openly queer, non-monogamous business owner who's just kind of like making shit up as I go. <laughs> um, I have this deeply expansive, creative life. My life is a creative project. And it's like constantly expanding and there's not really any borders to it at this point. There's nothing fencing me in. And so one of the things that I say often is like, this was not supposed to be my story. But like along the way, it's like I just constantly, constantly, the universe would like present me with a door and be like, you want to go through? <laughs> What you, you want to see? What you want to see? What's behind the door? What are you gonna do? <laughs> and like, I, to my own credit, because so much of this has been by choice. Like, I have designed this life on purpose, but like, the universe always gave me the opportunities. Like, God always gave me the door and was like, "Do you want to see the? Do you want to see what's in the next room?" <laughs> and and while I would take that, there has always been that opportunity, and I've always been surrounded by people. It's one of the reasons that Joshua was so fucking mystical to me. And like for all the complicated parts of our relationship, and there were many, one of the most magical things about us and the thing that I will be grateful for until the day I die is that I was like, when I met him, I was on track to marry a very nice Christian boy who would have had me locked behind a white picket fence in a very cute little suburb with three to four kids and a couple of dogs and maybe a stay-at-home mom, like all of the things. And like, I have zero judgment toward that life and the people who choose it. It just wouldn't have been me. Like it wouldn't have been my life. And it most certainly would not have been me inside it. Like I was on track for that life when I met Joshua, but he just, and he's like, again, one of the primary reasons I believe in God. <laughs> because he just always held such a beautiful space for me to keep becoming. He always saw me as a cosmos. Even I when I was, was like inside the box, he was the bigger container. Yeah. Um, and it felt so safe because he was so steady and so like calm and like the, the foundation for all my ridiculousness. But like, he just never fenced me in. Like I, I have always been presented with doors that allowed me to go to different levels and different rooms and to explore more. And I've always been presented with the right people at the right time who just like allowed me to move into that expansiveness. 
And that's kind of the metric at this point. Like when new people come into my life, one of my, my primary questions is energetically, how likely are you to try to fence me in? Mm. <laughs> Such <laughs> like, a good question. Like on an energetic <laughs> level, like if there's going to come a point where your heart just longs for me to like settle in. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be a great fit for you because that's unlikely to happen. Yeah. And we're going to bump up against each other the whole way forward. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, that has been my, my experience of deconstruction has been much less. Like, in fact, it's hard for me sometimes to use the language of deconstruction because it hasn't been that it has been expansion. Like, mm. like I haven't, yeah. it's never really completely felt like I tore something down. It just felt like I outgrew it. Yes. Like perpetually. Yes. That's what we do. I know. I'm small clapping right now. That is so um, clapping. Um, <laughs> Why do you rock back and forth? It's delightful to me. <laughs> this, is my, this is my energetics getting up. Mm -hmm. um, I, first of all, I, I just want to note that we like walked in the door. I'm two feet from the door. <laughs> both, we both fucking sat down on the Literally floor. just sitting on the carpet <laughs> two feet from the door. I'm very happy here. Um, so good. Yeah, I like to say like deconstruction is just such an interesting process because for me it's felt very similar. Mm. I was never really walking away from something. I was always walking towards Toward. something bigger. Yep. Towards a, a more expansive view of life. Yes. Towards myself. Towards yep. Towards an expansive view of myself. It's like it's like a tree that's just been growing. It's just getting bigger. And yeah. it couldn't fit within the little garden shit that you put around it because the roots came up and it got bigger. Yes. It's not nothing. I mean, that stuff fell away, but that's like so small compared it's to so the fact that the tree is fucking huge. It's flourishing. It's yeah. flourishing. And it had to have space to do so. Yeah. Like, again, like the tree wasn't going to thrive. It wasn't going to flourish in the bunker. Like, that's no. just... That wasn't an option. No, you grew the seed in there and then mm -hmm. it was time to go. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. People ask um, often, and honestly, I ask myself, like, if I regret being raised in the church. If I regret, like, if I could, like, go back and rewrite my story, if I would keep that as part of it. And I have complicated feelings on that because I sustained a metric fuck ton of trauma that I would love to not have. And yet at the same time there is that part of me that's like, well, there were parts of this did, that did not have to be as hard and as painful as they were. There are pieces of me that are grateful for the fact that I was born into language about God and purpose and like spirit and all of these things that I still so deeply believe in. And I wonder sometimes if I hadn't been given that language in such a formative way when I was a child, if I hadn't been given that like, possibility that something outside our frame of reference exists mm -hmm. um that's like like some form of benevolent kindness that's holding this whole fucking thing together um running a very loose ship but <laughs> like still holding the thing together i wonder sometimes if i would have become this version of myself that is so expansive and also has the capacity to believe that in like light of the universe i'm actually so small <laughs> like like to feel like I don't have to take myself quite so seriously because at the end of the day, I'm still like a speck of dust clinging on to the side of a rock that's like spinning in the middle of the outer space. It's one of my favorite thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Like when, um, when I like created the mantra of like being willing to be a motherfucking cosmos, 
one of the things that like came to my mind, like, oh no, if you ever had the experience of getting a little bit too stoned and like sitting there and starting to actually consider the nature of the universe <laughs> and how huge it is and how much we like rely on these very wild external factors. Like we just, we don't think about it too much, but every now and then I smoke a little bit too much weed and I start thinking about it and I'm like, Oh, that's terrifying. Like, I'm in control of nothing. I'm in control of nothing. I don't like this. I don't like this. Get me off. Get me off. And in ways, like, I think that's how a lot of people in my life experience me. Like, and, and probably you too, because you and I are cut from the same cloth in this, is there's, like, this, like, disorienting nature. There's this, like, disorienting feeling to being a part of something that's so fundamentally unpredictable and like yeah. incomprehensible. <laughs> like, I, I truly don't think that you or I know how to show up in a place, not as <laughs> ourselves. No, don't think so. Not at this and point. And it definitely makes people feel uncomfortable it's, Yes. Like I, I've come to peace with the fact that I'm not for everyone. Like I am for some people, I am like the entity that you like get a little too stoned and think a little bit too hard about it. And you're like, Oh no, fuck no, fuck no. You're <laughs> like, an expander. I'm an expander and you're an expander. Like that's, yeah. and that's why we do this work. Like mm -hmm. that is exactly why we landed doing the work that we're doing. Yeah. And it's why we couldn't stay in the bunker. Yeah. <laughs> we were too expensive. It's never an option. The thing is like the, if someone is ready to be with like an expander, mm -hmm. that can be really Cause, cause they don't, they don't become like us. Cause nobody, no. like, we don't want that. No. Do they? But being yourself gives yes. other people around you permission yes. to be however they are. Yeah. Even if it's a little uncomfortable at first. It's so, it can be so uncomfortable. And that's been one of the, like one of the things that some of my one-on-one -on -one clients and I've talked about is like, people get nervous sometimes about working with me because like I am like largely fearless in the face of change. And like, if there's a new thing that I can explore, I'm probably going to want to. And I've blown my life up several times on purpose to like explore the next thing. And my life has also been blown up for me a couple of times and given me space to explore the next thing. So I have some one-on-one -on -one clients who have been like, I'm a little nervous about working with you because that does that automatically mean I'm just going to like fucking blow up my life. Yes. And I'm like, no. What it does mean is I'm going to give you permission to, mm -hmm. if you want that. Oh, but like my just goal, space. just the space, like yeah. the space, but it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to like go off talking deep end. No. <laughs> um, but there's something to be said for having space held for you by someone who is genuinely unafraid of any direction that you choose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that can be very powerful when you're ready for it and terrifying when you're not. Um, it's, a, it's a valid Absolutely. question. Every time somebody asks yeah. them like, that's, you know, it's a, it's a really valid question, but no, like you, I don't actually believe you have to blow up your entire goddamn life to like explore what's possible for you. No, and everyone's journey is so different. It's I think, so different. I think the thing about like expanders like us is that people are just like, oh, but does that like, if I take a step in this direction, is, yes. is, is it, it a slippery like, slope? Is it the slippery slope? Yeah. It's like, no, you still have autonomy. I'm like here to show you yes. you have autonomy. Yes. What you do with it is entirely, it's entirely up, to up to you and within your own sense of sovereignty. Like yeah. you get to choose. My, my goal is just to hold space for as many people as possible that like want to be witnessed 
by someone who is not afraid of their expansion on any level. Because mm-hmm. I am also that person that if you decide you want to blow up your life, to, like, tell the truth and do the next, like, bigger and more beautiful thing, I will just be like, okay. Yes. All right. How Here do we lay you. the ground for, groundwork for this? Like, yes. how can we make it as safe and kind and consensual and, like, like supportive for everyone involved as possible? But sure, if you don't want to blow up your fucking life, I will... I will Cheers. help you put a support <laughs> system in place to facilitate that. Mm. Yes, all for <clears throat> all for the freedom of people to yes. be as expansive as yes, they, as as they, they want are to be. and want to be, yep. are ready for. Yes. And that can come in stages. Yes. Um, God, yes. That's great. <laughs> that's been another thing is like, um, like everything for me has honestly... It's like we were talking earlier we talk, when we were talking about how, like, if we, our 20-year-old selves could just, like, see the finished product, like, the 30, <laughs> mid-30s versions of us, like, they would have had a stroke. But it didn't happen all at once. It was, like, so incremental that over time, like, all of the changes were so sustainable, even though some of them in the moment didn't feel like it. Um, they were all so sustainable because it just happened over time. Life's rarely going to give you... Like, the whole thing at the same time. Yeah, and Just also I think, steps. like, the thing to remember in most of this is if you if you are the one choosing the expanders in the process, is like, you are still in control. You're still in control. Like, yes. it's, it's up to you what happens. Yeah. It is it, what you feel in you, if you feel this, yes. like, urgency to do something, yep. like, sit with it and yes. see what happens. Honor the yes. fact that it's coming from you. You get and to choose. And then you choose what you to do get to choose. It. It's so funny. Um, one of the best examples I've lived out for this was when Joshua and I made the transition from being monogamous to being polyamorous. Um, and that happened in 2017 was when I first like heard of the concept of like ethical non-monogamy. And Joshua had come out to me as bi a couple of years earlier, and he never got a chance to explore that. Um, I had not at that point in time embraced my own queerness, but like I was deeply accepting of his. And like, I remember the first time that I heard of that entire concept, I was like, oh no, (laughs) oh no, because that was like one of those moments when the universe was like, here's a door, do you want to go through? And I literally sat at that door for 18 months Mm. in silence. Like I, like I read books and I listened to podcasts and I consumed every single like piece of content I could get my hands on Mm. from people who had done it. Because I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't put it on the table with him until I knew it was something that I could actually do myself. But that's been the perfect example for me. And anytime people like look at the dramatic shifts in my life over the course of the past 13 years um, and feel overwhelmed by it, I, I always kind of come back to that where I'm just like, okay, I just got handed doors and I got to choose whether I went through them. Of course, there were a couple like... <laughs> Josh's death was not a choice to me. Um, his depression and the way that the church reacted to that, not a choice for me. But like so much of my expansion has involved me having a door presented to me and then the energy that I know as God just being like, okay, what do you want to do with this? Like, cause you can just step away from the door and decide you don't want to like open that possibility at all. Um, I honestly believe that the universe fundamentally is built on consent. So, like, a lot of things get handed to us, but 
I think most of our expansion, we have some degree of like control over. We have the capacity to say yes or no. Yeah, and also there's no right or wrong way. Mm -mm. You can decide to not go through a door, and that doesn't yes. mean your entire life is fucked. Which, no. is, kind of, which is kind of like yes. the way that we were taught to look at 100%. the Christian God, was that it was like if you said no to God's will, then your life, like Jonah, would yes. be swallowed by a fucking whale until yes. you decided to go through the damn door. Yes. That's not, that's not, that's how. not how it is. That's not how. That's not how this operates. I think there's just like there's an amount of anxiety because we still hold on to that narrative of like, Oh, if I pick the wrong thing or I'm going to have things forced upon me. Yeah. Um, but it's I think terrifying. it's so scary. <laughs> like the, the entire like lack of consent and autonomy that our like religious foundations are built on is, ugh, it's jarring to me at this point, but I don't know. I think there's, I think there's a lot of choice involved in it. Yeah. And most of the time I personally have chosen. Yes. I want to open the door and see what's on the other side of it. Um, and I've never regretted that. Like literally I cannot think of one time that I've chosen to open the door where in retrospect, I've thought, God, I really fucking wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of this in like another way. Hold on. Go. <laughs> Say the thing. What if like, um, no, it's more like in, in addition to what if like, because we were kind of taught to look at, like, the Christian God as one who had, like, a very specific agenda in mind for your life that served his greater purpose. Like, what if the universe handing these doors to you is not necessarily the universe, but your, your, like, into, you know how you were drawn to queers? Like, I was yeah. drawn. Oh, yeah. Always. A lot of my friends from back then are queer. Like, yes. the, it, you just magnetically, energetically find Yes. Them. What if these doors are energetic that are finding you. Yeah. And it's like the universe is actually your energy bringing specific doors for you. Yes. You can still say no. Yep. These are not, these are not doors that come to everyone. No. They're, no. They're your, you know what I mean? Yes. These are your doors. And yes. These are your, this is your desire bringing I, specifically what you want to. God, do. I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true because it, it feels like, and I think that's why, my answer is almost always yes, because there's like this intuitive, I've never had the like crystallization of it into language, but I think there's always been this part of me that it's like, if this door is opening to me, there is a part of me that has like magnetized it to me because I'm a mag, like that's, I, I function magnetically in my life. Like I bring experiences and people and options and things to me. And they're almost always trustworthy because they're almost always something that some part of me is asking for. Mm -hmm. And like, again, like going back to the, the beginnings of us being uh, non-monogamous, it's so interesting that in the very beginning, my, my exploring that possibility was entirely in service of Joshua and his exploration. Mm -hmm. And then I walked into that world and went, oh, <laughs> Hi, <laughs> this is like, this like is for me, <laughs> I like for the first time, I don't feel, I mean, I do feel, I, I have an inappropriate amount of love for one person. Like I, I just don't, I, it doesn't, I don't fit <laughs> with one person. Um, because the, like the love in my chest and the expression that I'm capable of needs, I, I, Universe. I would never have known that though. I would never have known that about myself until I walked through that door. I brought that door to me for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I've you never did. thought Were about you it. Were you always going to get there? 
We're getting existential, but we're I getting love, very, I love this, this is where we live. This is where we live. Um, <laughs> God, we love always. existential. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think so. I like I, know. I think um, what is? I can't remember whether it's Rumi or Hafiz, but there's a mystic poet, um, and there's a line something about the place where you are right now. God circled on a map for you. Mm, that's beautiful. And. I have always walked through my life, my adult life, but like more and more as time goes by with the idea that wherever I'm sitting, it was never not going to be this. Yeah. Like, and that's honestly, there's like a, there's so much peace in that for me. Like, I think I was always going to end up in this place in some way, shape or form. And there were possibly different like routes, but yeah, I think that my soul was always calling me here to this exact space. And that feels complex because there's been so much loss in the process of getting here. And sometimes I'm real fucking pissed about that. Yeah. But also, I don't know. Like I, I really, I think you're exactly right. I think that, um, I was always going to land here. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so much sense. It does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I want to, uh, we probably have to end because I'm ah. going soon. <laughs> but I love that we just like yammer for this another time. And could keep going. Yes. Um, I just have one final question. Yes. And that is, I wanted to know what advice or wisdom you would pass on to someone who is in a similar situation to where you were with Josh when you were in the church and not getting help you needed and maybe on the verge of, of leaving. Yes. What advice would you give to that person? Um, a couple of things I would say first and foremost, trust your gut. Like that's, that's the primary thing at every stage of my life. And that's really hard to say because the voice of my gut and the voice of anxiety can sound very similar, (laughs) but, um, but like when you are sitting with yourself and you're still and quiet and at peace, what direction is your gut moving you and go after that? Um, that's the first thing I would say is trust your gut. The second thing I would say is there is probably a voice in your head that is telling you, that if you leave the church, what you're leaving is love, connection, and belonging. And you will never find love and connection and belonging like that again. That's a fucking lie. There is love, connection, and belonging that is deep and intimate and committed as all hell outside the church. I think that was one of the things that kept me in the longest was I got told my entire life that you can't really rely on love that's not founded on a mutual love for Jesus Christ. Yeah. And to that, I say, fuck that shit. It is a lie. That's not true. I can tell you that with absolute 100% certainty. That's not true. Mm. Um, And the last thing I would say is the mantra that I have for myself right now, which is, um, something I remind myself of when I'm in pain or when I'm experiencing something that feels destabilizing. Um, and that is, even this is trustworthy. Like whatever, 
whatever like destabilization you're feeling, whatever pain you're experiencing at the hand of the institution or the church or the doctrine or the narrative or your history, all of it is trustworthy because all of it is moving you in a direction and the direction you are going is trustworthy. So yeah, those would be, I think, my primary things. Trust your gut. There is love that you have not experienced yet and it exists outside the church just as much as it does inside. For me, more. Um, it's so unconditional. And even this is trustworthy. Even the shit that sucks is trustworthy. Even the stuff that feels like it might cause you to blow up your life if you follow it too far. Even that's trustworthy. Keep going. It's incredible advice. Thank you so much. Uh, you are so welcome. This has been such a fucking pleasure. If I could literally just spend two hours of every single day talking to an Enneagram or sitting on the floor <laughs> drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a good time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Religious Renegade podcast. Please like and subscribe to hear more. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Christina Carlson Life Coach. Thank you.